You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. It is 8 o'clock Saturday morning, and you are tuned into Rosie on the House, the third Saturday of the month. So we are talking gardening. Now Jay Harper can answer just about anything about the outdoor landscape, even hardscape and artificial turf. Hang on. One more time. There, oh, there we go. The button that says on, you got to push that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, when you're, when, when I have, it's been a while since I've been here. I've already forgot how to turn the mic on. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. You can text to four one one nine two three. Or email info at rosieonthehouse.com if you've got a question about your outdoor landscape, hardscape, gardening. We are moving into uh, fall planting season, soil prep time. And, man, how about all this rain and storms? You know, we are having – somebody said – I said, you know what? This is what it used to be like in the 70s, 60s, 70s. It may go back that far. I don't know. It's been a while since we've had this every every three or four days – just a big old-fashioned lightning, thunder, you know, light show in the sky, uh, you know, several times a week kind of an event. It, now, we've had some, maybe some places that have had some wind that we didn't uh, used to get. Although, you know, we had those too. Remember the, back when, when there was more trailer parks and tra- trailer resort, you know, you'd always have the stories of those getting turned over and, and the damage, so maybe it was more of that than landscaping. But I've, I've, there's been some pretty devastated areas when it comes to trees, and we could talk about that um, if we get to it about proper tree watering, proper tree placement, drip irrigation. I've seen a lot of great big, particularly Palo Verdes, laying on their sides in the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we've had a pretty substantial monsoon. Now the rainfalls are going to vary dramatically from place to place like they always do. But Oh, we had one night, we watched this huge storm, and we're straight as the crow flies south of Wickenburg. And Tinley's friend, you know, oh, they're getting pounded, and we saw it coming, we saw it coming. Jay, it's like it split a mile before us, yeah. and half the storm went to the east, half to the west. We didn't get a drop. Now you could smell it. And you, you didn't you, oh, get you any. could smell it, and we didn't get any. Now two nights later, I'm driving home on Patton, and it's dry, it's dry, it's dry. I pass Crozier, and it's flooded from there to I don't know how far west. Um, and I get home, and there's standing water, and yeah. you know there hadn't been in the last sixty miles driving and you, home. And except you didn't the last... get to see it, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was gone by the time I got darn. there. Amanda said you wouldn't believe what you missed. I said, Gosh darn it. Yep. It's, it, it's that way. I got caught in. In a world class one Thursday in in Welton at a customer's uh, uh, date farm, and uh, well, I didn't think I was going to get home. <laughs> <laughs> it was really running water across the, just, the road down the the whole the whole road was a river going out. What just is left in my lunchbox? How if I had to sit here? How? <laughs> well, they were. I mean, I guess they'd have had to put me up for the night. <laughs> Eat a lot of dates. <laughs> That is the nice thing about it that uh, on the storms is they they move fairly quickly. Even when something's flooded, a couple hours later it's it's dried up and gone. 
Yeah, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long for the for that water. I mean, it was just minutes, and this and everything was a raging river, and it all kind of went to this road. You know, typical kind of a desert road. It had been plowed so many times. The road was about two feet lower than <laughs> right. the surrounding area. <laughs> so it just became the river channel. <laughs> and once you're about halfway in, you're like, uh-oh, what have I done? I, I guess I'll just keep going and see what happens. <laughs> so I now call my truck the amphibious assault vehicle. and <laughs> But it, we, did, we did all right. So I got to drive from... Phoenix to Yuma and back Thursday, and from Phoenix to San Simon and back yesterday. So you had you just had Arizona highways on. I I did Arizona highways up close and personal <laughs> this week, <laughs> across the southern third of the state anyway. And I don't know that I've ever seen Bowie and San Simon green, but it's green. Oh man, it just and and did you hear the little town of Mammoth? I mean, Governor Ducey's declared a state of emergency. I did not hear that. Yeah, Mammoth just got hammered. I guess. Wow. I don't know what happened yeah, there. Yeah, well. I'll tell you what. If there's a contest for the most beautiful, lush, green backyard, I could win it right now. Yeah? I mean, I mean, I mean, the Tiff lawn is just absolutely – if there weren't for this one little patch of spurge, <laughs> it would be a perfect lawn right now. Nice. Well, that's the one thing about humidity and rain. Oh. And you just can't replicate – uh, that by watering irrigation water and, uh, and it just makes your fertilizer work better. It's just all that free nitrogen coming out of the atmosphere with the lightning and the rain is, is pretty spectacular what it does, especially for Bermuda grasses. And uh, that's fantastic. You should enter. Yeah. You should well, see my artificial grass, man. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's clean. It's cleaned right off. Huh? <laughs> Mine's full of leaves. <laughs> Instead of mowing, I I vacuum. <laughs> now, it's funny you mentioned that about how great the the, the tiff lawn looks. If we're going to overseed and winter lawn, it's about the time we're trying to start killing it off, isn't it? I know it's you know we 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 uh, so you know, we call on we, we 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 call on a lot of golf courses and you know they. You get all that ryegrass dies, and they call it transition, and their golf courses look ugly, and they struggle with it, and it's frustrating. All of June, really mid-June to about the 1st of August, and then they finally get them really looking good about the 1st of September, and we start scalping. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, if you figure when you're really using and enjoying that lawn, it's in the wintertime, so... Uh, that's when our when our lawns really want to be the best is those those winter lawns and and uh, when they're getting used and in fact it's maybe an argument you can't do this obviously if you're a golf course but for homeowners to not sweat too much what the summer lawn looks like you know can get it through but really that that winter application the the cool season ryegrass is the overseeded lawn is what you're probably going to enjoy the most you know you mentioned fall gardening around the corner. My visit to Yuma was to some farm customers, and they have started, already started planting some cabbage, some celery, some cauliflowers start going in. Believe it or not, you know, fall vegetable gardening on the commercial side has has begun. Already started. It wow. has begun. So it's uh, it's time for homeowners to start getting that ground ready, start, you know, Tilling it up, working it up, getting some good organic compost in there, uh, and and start working that soil. I I advocate. I'm a big advocate of doing it a little, starting early, do a little bit at a time. Don't kill yourself. 
you know, and, and do a really good, thorough job of turning the soil over and working organic material. And when you think you've done enough, do some more. Do it again. There's no big hurry. Our winter vegetable season is very long. You don't have to be in a big hurry to get it in. Take the time and do a very thorough job of preparing that soil with organic material and gypsum or something to kind of counteract the the salts and the compaction that's occurred all all summer long. And when the when you my brother Jeff always told customers when it feels good to you out there, that's probably a good time to start planting. <laughs> Whenever you can take Whenever, it. <laughs> when you think it's when you think it's okay, it's not so bad out. Okay, well then it's probably time to start. <laughs> Now, how deep do we need to go? I mean, if we're not doing carrots and we're just trying to get a good root base for, oh, what do we got? Lettuce is coming up. We've got radishes. Anything you can eat the leaf of or the root of or kind of a modified part of the stem of, okay? So, yeah, what you mentioned, radishes and carrots and lettuce and spinach and cabbage and broccoli and cauliflower and all the greens, mustards, kales, all of those things. So, you know, in most cases, if you're not trying to grow, a, you know, a, a, a carrot per se, I would say six inches is okay. You know, a foot's always a good, if you can get it really good to a foot, that's, that'd be great. But, you know, we grow in these square foot garden kits and garden boxes and all that. You know, they're six to eight inches deep, and, and you can do a fine job with leafy stuff in in a fairly limited depth of soil so uh, you know i always go you know i'm a big believer like i said do it little do it a lot stretch it out do a good job get it down as deep as you can but the depth of a normal regular garden spade or shovel you know what eight, 10 inches something like that is, is probably about right it's amazing how working up eight inches by the time you're ready for the next planting season you've Oh yeah, <laughs> that that eight inches is two, three inches, <laughs> and all that compost and 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 organic material that you put in, you can't hardly find it. You know, it's turned back into brown, desert-looking soil, right? So that stuff just kind of solubilizes and disappears, and you, you just because you did it six months ago doesn't mean it's it's adequate. You need to re-prepare, uh, and uh, of course, we'd love for you to use chicken manure, but. Uh, you know, any good organic material uh, is the way to go. If you compost yourself, great, but make sure it's well composted. Uh, don't till in to the soil any, you know, anything that's not completed the composting process. The best way to tell that is, is it is it generating heat or does it smell, un, you know, have that kind of still a strong ammonia-y smell to it? It's still working, so you need to you need to let it work a little longer. When you mentioned the chicken manure, I know the farm's choice. You gave me a five-gallon or, or five-pound. Fifteen-pound. Fifteen-pound uh, plastic tub. Mm-hmm. Could I put that in my lawn fertilizer and just run it through the orchard and let it spread like I would any, like a lawn fertilizer? Oh, sure. Yeah. You bet. I have to do that. I'm, 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 I've got this big dream of getting a liquid inject into the irrigation system and just gradually feed gradually feed mm-hmm. every time it waters but you know that infrastructure and that project is you know out well, the, there in the, the cloud right now <laughs> the pelleted product that i gave you is is really what we call an ag pellet it's not a turf pellet 
So it's meant for garden, tree, shrub, orchard type applications. So it, it it's awesome for that. The Farm's Choice, you can find that. A lot of nurseries around town, you could call. Yeah, you can go on our website, farmschoice.com, and there is a list of people that are handling the product. And yeah. when you talk about local and organic, it's oh, basically it's the manure definitely from both of those. eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. On a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning. I don't mind this. I, I don't mind the little sticky humid. I, I will take that anytime I I can wake up and it's not, uh, and it never dropped me below 90 degrees. <laughs> but that's usually when it's sticky humid. I, you know, I, that's the one nice thing about the dry, you know, May, June is, you know, it gets hot in the day, but you wake, you know, and the, you know, cools down in the, 60s or 70s at night there's some days this time of year when you walk out you know early still dark and it's you know 92 (laughs) (laughs) and that's what can be kind of hard on a lot of our plant material is the fact that it you know it'll take the 110 just when it doesn't cool off at night that uh you know that you get into some problems especially you know with our cool season grasses that's when people about the first of august realize their lawns they still had a lot of a lot of ryegrass in their lawn they didn't know about because it just died <laughs> <laughs> they think their whole lawn died so your winter lawn finally died um you know we we're talking about <clears throat> i was talking about driving you know the state and it's greened up and uh i was listening to to ktar on my way you know as i do driving all over the state of arizona and jim cross had a report you know, we're talking about the monsoon and how much it's rained at your house and here and there and spotty. <clears throat> but he did mention that uh, our drought severity has lessened quite a bit. I mean, it's substantial. Well, you know, we're still, you know, especially in some areas, in what they consider a pretty severe drought. But it has made an impact on it. You know, and there's obviously we need to be concerned. Uh, and we need to not waste water and don't water where it, you know, and I still see, you know, which ra- it's rained and people's sprinklers are still running and there's a neighborhood and there's an HOA in my neighborhood that just, uh, I can't, I've knocked at their doors. I've called the city of Phoenix and every two or three days there's water running down the gutter. They just can't get their irrigation timed. They'd be great candidates for taking out their lawns. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, you know, an HOA like that that doesn't, you know, it's it's just the lawn is strictly cosmetic. Um, you know, there's probably a pretty good argument that they they really don't need it. Nobody's playing on it. Nobody's dogs are having to use it. Um, it's not a golf course. There's no real function for that grass other than visually to look at. It might be a luxury we don't and shouldn't have. I don't know. I'm not going to make that judgment call for people, but Xeriscaping, the whole concept of xeriscaping is matching your landscape to your lifestyle. If you've got little kids and pets, you know, a patch of grass in the backyard is is fine. You know, we we converted our front yard just a m- few months ago, the beginning of the summer. We, you know, we've been there 30-some years, and like most people that have been in a house 30-some years, there's some stuff that needs doing <laughs> keeps your dad in business, right? And so we we kind of started on the outside in the front yard. My front yard is pretty small. 
It's pretty hard to mow. Kids are gone. Nobody's using it, you know, and we just decided to to uh, convert it to we took out our driveway, put a Belgard beautiful paver driveway in and put artificial turf in the front yard. Now, I would not recommend that in if you've got kids or dogs playing on it cuz it's hot. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. it, you know, it's it's strictly though what we talked about. It's something to look at. And it's green and it's pretty and it doesn't need any water. And as you re- you said it's hot and you kind of alluded to it earlier that you know, we've got these a lot of these summer lawns. That it's so hot; no one's out there anyway. That our winter lawn is really. <laughs> I think we do have it backwards in, in a lot of cases, and I think you know. I mean, even golf courses. I think that you know they ought to keep their tees and their greens looking really good, and the fairways are what they are in July and August. Because there's I mean, there's all ten guys played around the golf today, and you know. <laughs> all day long. And, uh, you know, all I do to my grass, in the, and I did keep the backyards. I have three dogs, and I have grandkids that come over, and we've got a swimming pool. And, you know, and, and but about the only traffic that backyard gets is once a week when I mow it right now. Uh, there's nobody out there much playing on it. It looks good through the window. <laughs> <laughs> Walking on my way to go jump in the pool and walk back into the house. So, yeah, I mean, I think... Plant a winter lawn and enjoy the heck out of it, and yeah, maybe there's a case for just letting the summer lawn die. Maybe we have it backwards. There are some. There is a golf course in the Far East Valley, Queen Creek area, that is only open in the winter time. They let the grass. They don't even have Bermuda grass. It just all dies. They close. They go away, <laughs> and they come back in September and start overseeding. And they have a beautiful uh, ryegrass golf course. Maybe he's got it right. I've seen the long-range forecast for the winter, too, El Nino kicking in, which means wetter-than-average winter, so something else to think about, too. Well, that, that's uh, that's all a bonus, and especially if we get snowpack in the mountains, and that's what we really need for that's the water table drought the snow. is we need some snowpack. And, it, and it's not going to be one good season. You, know, it, it, you might need two or three. Well, California found that out. You know, <laughs> that, what, winter before last, they— filled everything up and then boom the next year we're back kind of right where we were <laughs> one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight that's one triple eight rosie for you text is four one one nine two three or you can send uh, an email if you need help with picture plant identification to info at rosie on the more with jay harper of the farm's choice here in the outdoor living hour of rosie on the house see this breaking report well probably not since you're holding it over there so i didn't hear anything break (laughs) we may this this and it might have something to do with the monsoon it it might not i don't know it might have to do with something with the location on what where in the state this is taking place but arizona may we just may have a new giant pumpkin record coming up here oh i did see that breaking news (laughs) yeah well that's that's got a lot to do with where the, where he's growing it because he's been able to grow it all summer where they can't do it here. The, 
Uh, yeah, that's Sierra Vista, right? I think it is. Yeah, it so. is. Dean Baker has the current state record for the largest pumpkin of 486 pounds. But this pumpkin, Which I witnessed firsthand being weighed. At yes, that's yes, right. That was at y'all's old property. Yeah. Well, this new pumpkin is 57 days old and has a measurement of 300 inches, which is bigger than any that's ever been measured. So they're thinking by the time they get it plucked and weighed and on the pallet, we're, we may see a, a new record in Arizona Giant Pumpkin Growers Association. There's a lot of coffee shops that are foaming at the mouth right now wanting that pumpkin. Pumpkin spice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, going to be kind of interesting to see where that finishes. Well, let's get to our calls at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. We've got what uh, about another two months before that gets officially weighed and measured. So, we'll we'll share it here. Yeah, absolutely, Marty. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Mister Harper. I need some advice. Mister Harper's need... not here, but Jay will take it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I need some uh, some good um, shade trees okay. for a west exposure. Okay, and tell me a little bit about w- the type of ground these trees are going to be planted in. Do you have gravel landscape? Is it a desert? It's gra- gravel, dirt. It's just okay. a not going to be not going to be in a grass lawn. It is not. Okay, and they're on the west side of the house. That's right. Okay, and ha- what kind of irrigation system do you have yet to be it's <laughs> yet to be okay yeah, yeah. all right so you're going to probably hand water them for a while with the hose or something yeah i'm i'm going to put in some landscaping some formal irrigation okay so you're just doing rain. some planning ahead okay great. exactly well i i think it is you know on the west side i think think maybe possibly deciduous or semi-deciduous so they they lose their leaves in the winter and you get a little bit of free uh, you know, heating with the winter sun. Okay. Uh, I would suggest perhaps uh, the red push pistache. Uh, you know, I mean, they're a fabulous tree. You're seeing more and more and more of them around. They're they're very drought tolerant. You, you, they do need watered, but so do our mesquites and Palo Verdes here for sure. a while, sure. you know, to get them to size. But that would probably be, you know, my first choice. Chinese elm. I think would be another choice. It's kind of semi-deciduous. It'll it'll thin out if not drop all of its leaves in the winter. But I would sure investigate those two, and they're both very adaptable to drip or uh, type irrigation, uh, and will and will do very nicely in non-turf type applications. Okay, could you just repeat that first one you said? Red. Red push, like you're pushing a cart. Yes. Red push. Pistache, like pistachio, but leave the EO ah. off of it. Pistache. Okay, great. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. We appreciate it, Marty, and they call it that because when it pushes on its new growth, it's very red on the ends, so you get a green and red combined tree. It's, it's, it's a beautiful tree. Dark, dark, dark green with that red. And then in the fall, in the winter, they have a very brilliant crimson foliage that that turns before it falls off. So it's it's a great tree. I've got three of them, uh, and I plan to put three more on the west side of our arena to shade the stalls and the shoots in the return lane, just where everyone sits while they're waiting their turn for their runs. And we, you know, I'm I'm 
how little I have taken care of them. I'm very impressed on how well they have done. They, they're they're pretty bulletproof. Yeah, they they uh, there was an old property on McKellips Road down the road from where we were in Mesa that got built right, you know, about 07, early 08, just as, you know, the economy took a dive. And it was a little strip office kind of a property, and it just got abandoned. And at the end of the day, after two or three years, when somebody finally bought it and started rehabbing it, you know, the water was turned off. Those red push pistache, even the a lot of the desert plantings, you know, low water plantings died. Those red push pistache never missed a beat. They they did fine. It, it's a great testimony for that tree. As we were talking earlier, it is fall planting season. The hardest thing when it comes to seed planting for me is thinning. Okay. Because you don't want to or no. you just don't do it? <laughs> Both. Okay. <laughs> It's growing. I planted it there to grow. Why pull it out now? <laughs> <laughs> well, thinning is an interesting thing. You know, with fruit trees, peaches, you know, apricots, plums, they, you know, they they certainly overproduce. They need, if you want nice big peaches and you don't want your tree to break, you've got to thin them, right? So we, the same way with, with a lot of your vegetables, if they're too close together, they just get stretchy and spindly and and, the, you know, if it's a root crop, you know, they'll start actually coming up out of the ground because there's no room for them to grow. So you, you've got to, you know, you've got to take that into account. It's very hard to plant seeds, you know, and space them out. Some varieties you can find, you don't see as much of it, and I'm not sure why, but you can buy seed on a tape. It's actually on a little piece of paper, and they're, they're kind of glued to it, and they're done in the proper spacing. So you dig your little, you have your garden prepped and ready to plant. And you kind of make a little groove or a little trench, and you put that tape, you lay it in that trench and stretch it out, fill it in. Those those things germinate and come up in the exact spacing that they need to be. If you can find things, especially like carrots, that are done that way, it's it's a marvelous way to plant them. Another little tip is to take your seed, put it in a, a jar or a coffee can, and then take some some like play sand or fine sand. Don't you don't want to use probably real coarse stuff, or you can just use good potting soil. Fill the can full of that, and then shake the heck out of it. Get that seed so it's all mixed together with that soil or sand material, and then shake it out in your little trench. That soil or that sand will act as a spacer um, uh, or as a filling mechanism so that the seeds don't just all come out in clumps together. It's not going to be perfect, but it certainly is a way to do it. And of course, then the last thing is just to go through after they germinate and just force yourself to do it. Or just get a neighbor to come over that doesn't care (laughs) (laughs) and just say, I want these six inches or a foot apart. Do it for me because I don't have the heart to do it. (laughs) And the reason the packaging says to overplant is you can never guarantee 100% germination. Well, nothing's going to be 100%, you know, even if you could guarantee it. You know, they, you know so the best you're going to do is probably in the 90s. Well, if you get 90%, you're going to have more than you need anyway. So, um, yeah, it, you, you just do the best you can, and then you just have to come back and, and thin them out based on the, the crop that you're planting, how, how, you, how it should be done. Well, let's pull off the highway here into Marana and see how we can help Tom. 
Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. I have a west-facing wall. Um, it's 40 feet long, um, 30 feet high at the peak, and that wall just roasts in the western sun. I don't have room for red push pistache, which are awesome trees, and I was wondering if I could put in an arbor or something of cat claw, but... Um, are they deciduous, and will I end up with a lot of leaves in the pool? Because my wife would rather have the west side of the house roast than clean leaves out of the pool. How how far from the pool is the wall? Uh, about 12 feet. Well, you'd have no problem if it's 12 feet with a vine-like cat claw. Because, you know, they're going to fall straight down. They're not that light. Uh, they don't have a lot of flowers that would blow into your pool like a bougainvillea might. I that's that'd probably be my first choice. That or there's a cat claw has a cousin called Tangerine Beauty Crossvine. And will it handle the heat because yep. it gets toasted? It will. I you know I wouldn't you know fall. You're coming up to a great time to get those planted and established so they have almost a full year before it gets hot again. Um, so so do them in the fall. You shouldn't have any issue with either one of those with heat. And those would be the two fastest growing vines that I could think of that would would take care of that for you. Oh, thank you very much, gentlemen. Have a wonderful weekend and day. You too. Appreciate the call. He's mentioned the red push pistachios in Moran. He's not far from old Bernie's growth site there. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Those are all propagated and, and grown right here in the state of Arizona. He kind of the. The grafter? I don't know if you can call him inventor, but he's the the grafter that's kind of put that tree together. He certainly introduced it to everybody and and made it the tree of the popularity that it is. Yeah, and you're going to see a lot of those. We were talking at the Arizona Community Tree Council. I guess it was two years ago. Just what, how different it's going to look in 15 years? I I think my prediction is there will be a lot less hybrid or thornless or desert museum palaverdes than there are now well there's a lot less of them now than there were two weeks ago because a lot <laughs> the, of them the rain blew, t- a lot <laughs> of them blew down <laughs> the wind uh, and rain took care of that <laughs> i think i think the smart money would be on replacing a lot of those with with chinese pistache red push pistache chinese elms uh Southern heritage live oaks <laughs> and uh, i think we'd be a lot happier one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie for you. Here in the garden with Jay Harper of the Farmers Choice, answering your questions about gardening planting landscape trees you made a great point with tom and marana about planting for shade for next summer giving your trees and your plants or vines or whatever a whole year for the root structure to establish in the soil before it gets really hot yeah we get you know that's kind of a soapbox for us right fall planting um just really can't be overemphasized because the soil stays warm the air mass is cooling. There's not as stress, as much stress on the plant with moisture loss transpiration because the air mass is cooling. But the soil is warm enough that the plant will grow roots. And, 
And plants have to start establishing a root system before they'll put on new growth anyway. So if you get a plant and it's sitting there and you don't think it's growing, but it's rooting in and its roots are getting established, next spring when the air mass starts to warm and the days get longer, those plants just explode. If anybody's ever had a tree, maybe a young tree that that had been in the ground maybe a year or two and it broke off or broke, or you cut it back hard because it froze or something like that, and you see how fast it responds and grows, that's because that it's got this nice big root system that's allowing that the rest of that plant to grow that much quicker. It doesn't have a brand new root system. It's fairly established, and the, the, the foliage and the branches and the limbs grow that much quicker. So it's the same principle. And, and so you get almost it by planting in the fall, you get sometimes a year or even like an 18-month bonus on growth come next spring. Plus then the the plant, if it gets hot quick or you have issues with heat and stress, it's not going to be as severe because that plant is not this new plant trying to – you just can't hardly water it enough. So It's got all just, its little root feeders out there absolutely. to help support it during that 110 where, like you say – you just all bets are off. <laughs> and, and, and then the other thing we need to really, you know, probably a lot of these trees that are blowing over is, you know, look at where the drippers were. You know, most of them probably have the original two drippers that got put around them when they were newly planted. They never got moved out away from the trunk of the tree. They never added any. So they've got this little root system because that's where the moisture was. So they just start spinning around or doing whatever they do in this two or three foot space. Some of these trees are planted between a sidewalk and a street and a three or four foot strip. Those trees are now 30 feet tall and they've got, you know, a four foot root. And it, you get a little moisture in the soil and, a, you know, 70 or 80 mile an hour wind and that's not a great recipe. So remember to move and add drippers as your tree grows so those roots keep spreading out. Roots don't go find water. You know, they don't, they, you know, you could have a swimming pool. People ask me all the time, is that going to get in my pool? I said, not unless your pool's leaking. If it, you know, it doesn't know there's a body of water over there. <laughs> they don't have this, you know, sonar that detects water somewhere so they go out and find it. They proliferate and grow as there is moisture, or actually more technically, there's oxygen available. They just start spreading. Now, they'll, they'll spread out as, as big as they would inherently use, sometimes about one and a half times the height of the tree or as wide as the canopy of the tree, if there is moisture available for them to do that. Let's see if we can help Elizabeth real quick before we wrap up this hour. And Tucson, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. I enjoy your program. I have a yucca gloriosa plant, probably 15 or 16 years it has many different branches coming out, but it never, ever bloomed. Why? Well, yucca gloriosas are not a real prolific great bloomer um, for whatever reason, and they have to get to be very mature to bloom. Um, but you don't see many of them flower, um, as, you, as you might with the yucca pendula or some of the other varieties of yuccas that are very reliable bloomers. I don't know why, other than they just are not prone to blooming and they have to get pretty old and mature before they do. Um, I, I'm sorry, that's as good an answer as I can give you for that one. <laughs> 
If you want yucca blooms, don't plant a yucca gloriosa. Plant a you know a yucca recurvifolia, the pendula, or you know one of the other varieties that are just more reliable flowering varieties. We appreciate the call. Hope that helps. There's plenty of resources when you want to look at going botanical or yucca or I mean the the gardens and the and especially in Tucson where it's a lot more of that type of of growing. So there's. You always well, run into that one person that may have a bias to one plant and sells you on it, and it's not what you were looking for. <laughs> you need to make yourself express yourself clearly as to what it is that you really want. If you really wanted flowers or color, there's probably perhaps better choices of different plants. So really make sure when you're looking for a plant, what it, what is it that's most important? Is it shade? Is it screening, privacy? Is it flowering? You know what? What are you? What are you really trying to achieve? And then you can narrow it down and get to the right plant. And there, and that's you know we're talking about these trees blowing over and different things. Right plant in the right place is where it all starts. That'll also keep your maintenance to a minimum as well. Let's talk about preventing. We've talked about the rain. We've talked about how great it is. Want to prevent rain? What <laughs> the the weeds? Oh, weeds! Okay, the weeds. The rain's right. going to prolificate. <laughs> I mean, it, the, the seeds out there has been germinated. We've got all this wind that's blowing around. The sun comes out. We've got all this moisture, and they're going to start sprouting like crazy. They they are, and they have. Um, I've seen some pretty pretty uh, lush, luxuriant gravel yards around in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> so pre-emergent herbicides are, you know, very, you talk about a maintenance and a labor saver and it's never too late to put them on. They all, they start working as soon as they get incorporated into the soil. But if you wait till you got a yard full of weeds, it's not going to help you with that crop. It'll help you with the next crop. <laughs> so you should apply them as directed. They last for a certain length of time. You need to get on a calendar or a schedule and just keep applying them as the calendar or schedule of the directions tells you for the best results. Mr. Jay Harper, we appreciate it of The Farm's Choice. Thank you for joining us this Saturday morning. That website is thefarmschoice.com. Easy enough for great organic and locally. Uh, I, it's not grown. Locally produced. Yeah, locally deposited. Lo- there you go. I like that. <laughs> Fertilizer for your landscape and garden. The Farm's Choice.